Hi, and welcome to episode 97. Today, I had the pleasure of having a deep and meaningful conversation with the wonderful Rihanna Crisp, who you may know from Instagram as the OT Lifestyle Movement. We talk about that project, her journey, and all things related to occupational therapy. So, yeah, enjoy. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. Great question. You're taking me back quite a few years now. So I was in high school when I learned about OT and I didn't know anything about it, but I was curious about what what the potential was for the profession in terms of I knew that OT helps people improve their quality of life. And that's what I was told. And since then, obviously, my understanding has broadened so much more. But just this understanding that I could help someone improve their quality of life and even generate meaning in someone's life really just tugged at my heartstrings. So it was a really heart-driven, soul-driven decision, I suppose, that I made coming out of high school that I wanted to be an occupational therapist. Now, I hadn't even done any of the science. I didn't do any science at school because there was no way I wanted to do anything that was science-related. <laughs> I So I didn't even study the right subjects in high school. And so I had to do an extra year at university because of that. So I did five years at university. Um, but, you know, it's been quite a journey. And I... I mean, I love it. I have grown so much because of this profession. And when I look back, what initially, how I initially found out about it was I went to an OT who was at the Noosa Hospital. I was on the Sunshine Coast at the time. And I just wanted to learn more about what OT does in the day-to-day life. And everything she said just started to resonate with me. And I thought, you know, this is it. I want to work in a hospital. I want to become this thing called an occupational therapist. And and that was my path. And when I spoke to my mum about it, because my mum's a teacher, I thought I was either going to do teaching or I was going to be an occupational therapist. And teaching just, yeah, was not calling me the way OT was. As much as my mum wanted me to do teaching, um, and sort of following her foot her footsteps, um, OT just had my heart from the beginning. That's, that I'm going to tell a very random story now because <laughs> the the link between OT and teaching is something that I have come across a million times throughout my career. So I'm also married to a teacher. My mum is also a teacher, and I know seven other OTs that are partners, either married or going out with teachers. I don't know what it is about the whole like. OTs and teachers being so closely connected but in my 
life, the people that I know, it seems to be this recurring pattern and it's happened more often than I can put down to consequence, uh, to like mm-hmm. chance. It's, it's freaky. It freaks me out. <laughs> well, and I think OTs, we have a lot to offer, like from a teaching perspective. And this is something that I have grown to love about occupational therapy is, is, teaching and coaching and there is something about OT that we can step into that realm as well so yeah so once you so you went to uni did your course so you did your bridging course did your OT undergrad I'm assuming it was four years um where where did you go after that what was your first sort of where did you step into OT after you finished mm. what, what sort of work were you doing mm. Well, I might even just go back. I might rewind the clock to three years ago and sort of give a bit of context to this OT lifestyle movement because it really ties into how I started in this profession and why I'm doing the work that I'm doing today. So three years ago I had this vision for the OT lifestyle movement And at the time, I was really busy with my work. I have my own business. I have two young girls and life was just busy. And I wasn't ready to listen to the vision. So I kind of just pushed it aside. But then as time went on, the the vision didn't fade and I didn't want to bury it in the dirt Instead, I wanted to plant it in the hearts and the minds of other occupational therapists around the world. And it's it's not my vision. I feel like it's this collective vision of OTs who really want to live their best OT life. They want to do work that really matters to them. And this is why I stepped into the profession in the first place is because I felt the diversity of OT was just enormous. We can work with anyone in any context throughout their lifespan despite their ability or challenges like there is literally no cap on who we can work with and where in the world we can work with them so I decided that you know I'm I'm going to step into this OT lifestyle movement and and help other people find their passion and their purpose because I really found that But if I take you back further to 12 years ago when I finished university, my first first job was the new graduate position at the Royal Brisbane uh, Women's Hospital. And I thought, this is it. Like, I have got my dream job right here. I do not need anything else. I've got my dream right in front of me. This is what I wanted. I got my job. But as time went on, I, I didn't feel in alignment with that anymore. There was something about it where I wasn't, I wasn't jumping out of bed to get to work. I it was kind of going to work Monday to Friday just to get that paycheck at the end of the week. And I wasn't feeling lit up the way that I wanted to be, the way that I knew I could be within this profession. So, you know, I worked there and then I wanted to travel, which is the beautiful thing about OT is that we can travel with it. I worked at St. Thomas's Hospital in London. So I did a bit of a stint there again at a hospital and it wasn't really reigniting anything within me. So when I came back home, I did work rehabilitation, which again 
is very different to the hospital work. And that, that definitely didn't light me up. (laughs) (laughs) And not only did it not light me up, I, I was extremely stressed. I would put my head on the pillow after each day at work and I'd just be thinking of this pre-prepared to-do list that I'd have to wake up to each morning of all the things that I had to get done each day and it was very stressful for me. I was highly anxious and and I'm not saying either of these industries or areas are bad. They're not bad areas. They just weren't for me. It wasn't me doing my best work and this is the thing. We all need to find that thing that makes our life meaningful, that gives us purpose. And this is what we're so good at as OTs, right? We are so good at helping other people find meaning in their life that we sometimes overlook our own life and we sometimes forget about, okay, what about me? Let, let me take a look inwards and see if I'm, I'm on the right path. Because what happens is if we're not in alignment with the work that we're doing, we have this ripple effect on our clients. You know, they're not going to, we have this energy ripple effect where they're not going to receive the best of us. Um, and so this was sort of at a point when I was really diving deep into personal development and I was growing personally. I felt like I was changing my diet and I was looking into all these different things to help me grow personally. I was reading more books and I wasn't really a big reader back then, but I wasn't growing professionally. I felt like I was stuck. I was stuck in this place and just stagnant. Um, Every day kind of felt like Groundhog Day. And so again, you know, at I I kept going and then I came to a point in my life I had children and think that was a different time in my life and then I started to work with kids and I loved I loved this this lit me up working with kids and this I must tell you was an area I I swore I would never get into I never had a prac with kids I was like no I heard there were too many reports I don't want to be bogged down with all these reports I'm not good at that it takes me too long it's too time consuming not for me put a big red X on pediatrics. But um, as, yeah, yeah, <laughs> next minute, you know, I, I was redundant from my work rehabilitation job and had to take this other path and this opportunity presented itself to me. And, you know, as life would have it, I, I, I took it and doors open when you least expect it. So I, I just went on this journey and it's forever unfolding. I'm forever just taking it as it comes and not, I don't feel like I need the final chapter written in order to, to take a step. And from working in this special development school after that, I opened up my own private practice where I'm a mobile OT and I work with clients, children, mainly children on the autism spectrum and from there, I, I did all these sort of different entrepreneurial endeavors as well. And it's just, it's just been a journey and it's just following the trail and letting the work lead me. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, no, but... it does. Because um, I'm going to add to that and I'm going to call you out a little bit. So 
I first asked you to come on the podcast not long after the podcast started because at the time you had a you had your own podcast um, where you would talk to uh, kids with autism uh, and interview other people. It was all around that practice that you'd set up. Um, and you didn't at the time want to come on because your explanation to me was that you were stepping away from the profession a little bit. And I'm wondering whether or not that uh, process of stepping away from the profession was partly or greatly uh, what is kind of inspiring you or driving you to you know, create these resources or create these programs to try and inspire OTs to you know, explore the profession more. Yeah, interesting. So I did. I was working very closely with parents of children on the autism spectrum, but I was also very much on social media about it. And what I had to do for myself was step away from that social media aspect. And I love working in the area that I'm working in, working with parents, working with children, helping them reach their potential and do what they want to do in their life. But I didn't want to promote my business from that social media front anymore because autism, as you know, is this spectrum. And it's I found it very hard to come on social media and say some of the things that I was saying because it's a very, you know, it's very sensitive within the community. Um, and I'm not a parent of a child on the autism spectrum. And, um, you know, some of my views are very, quote, unquote, holistic. You know, I, I see both ends of the spectrum in terms of parents and their perspectives. You know, we have some parents who are very much in this neurodiversity camp um, and, you know, adults who, who are autistic and are proud of who they are and autism, you know, it's this culture for them. And then you have this other end of this spectrum where parents don't 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 believe that and they don't want even a diagnosis for their child because they don't want them labeled they don't want this stigma attached and they don't want this culture for them they don't want this autism culture for them and they're very some of them are very much in the biomedical camp where they're looking into nutrition and supplements and really trying to get the body right um so the autism world is one of the most divided communities that I've ever seen and I've ever worked within. And I found that and coming onto social media, that was not lighting up my soul anymore. That was not in alignment with where I was meant to be. So I I took a step back from interviews and I took a step back from the podcast and, and all that kind of thing. And now I'm just working more closely with families And the thing is that what I understand, you know, I'm not on one side or the other with with parents and and families who have specific views. I, what I've learned throughout my career is how important it is to understand people's belief systems. And this is something that I am so passionate and so fascinated about. And it really ties into the OT lifestyle movement because as OTs, we are looking at a person's lifestyle and we need to be looking at it through their lens, not through our own. 
we come with all these values and beliefs that we have, that we have downloaded from our environment, that we have inherited from generational stories passed on from our parents. And this is the lens that we look through. And it's very hard to detach ourselves from this lens because this is who we are. But to be able to see life through someone else's eyes and understand why they think the way they do, why they make the choices that they do, why they participate in certain occupations, you know, this all comes back to belief systems and it's fundamental to us as OTs to have the humility to step outside of our own belief systems and sometimes hold opposing views at the same time. That's deep. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's one of the issues that not just this profession, I think that's one of the issues the whole world has at the moment is that everything is being boiled down to black and white and it's, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, this idea is correct and there's no concept that two people can have the same idea and express it or or justify it in different ways um so i was in a like a men's group thing the other day and it was really interesting because we were talking like the the conversation was about the concept of ego um and there was probably 20 guys there and it was interesting going around the room and having everyone answer the same question which is you know what is ego uh and everyone talking about the same concept and some of the same sort of constructs within that concept, but explaining it in vastly different ways, everything from evolutionary to, you know, biomedically to spiritually to, you know, anything you can imagine. There was all kinds of descriptions of this one concept. And that didn't mean that, you know, 19 people were wrong and one was right. It's, like you said, it's different lenses and we look at the the same situation through our own lens, but it is important. And this is something that I've talked about a ton. It's important for OTs to be able to be self-aware enough to go, okay, so I'm interpreting this situation in this way because I know that my lenses are blah, 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 blah. And the person that I'm working with may see this differently. So I can't really let my initial judgment that I might have personally sort of color the situation because it could be completely different for the person that you're working with. hundred percent. And what tends to happen is we get stuck in this vortex that only reinforces our belief systems. So we surround ourselves with like-minded people. We are only in this small context of our home and our community. And, you know, I'll give you an example. So about 10 years ago, I went paleo. This was the thing, right? And I'm sure people who are listening to this right now can think of a time when they have been so evangelistic about something. You know, you read something or you go to an event and you come back and you tell everyone this is what they should be doing because this is the way, because you know the best way to eat or you know the best way to do something. And the truth of it is 
this is just a, a relative truth. It's not an absolute truth. This will not resonate with everyone. And most people will look at you as if you're brainwashed. They won't get it. They will not understand it. And so I was very much in this mindset. I was like, don't you understand you're eating all this processed food and what it's doing to your body and how it's making you feel and trying to tell your parents that or your mother-in-law, you know, they just don't get it. And so this is the reality too with clients that we work with. They can have radically different belief systems and a lot of the times we are trying to hand out um, solutions, let's say, quote-unquote solutions to people's problems for people who have lives that are completely different to our own and, and we wonder why they don't work or they don't even get implemented in the first place. We need to come from this place of looking through another person's lens and when we are in this evangelistic state and we're singing something from the rooftops, telling everyone should be paleo or vegan or whatever it is, this is the exact time when we need to be reading something that is radically different to what we are thinking. We need to be talking to people with different belief systems and different value systems that are going to challenge us. Because this is going to help us round our, our view on humanity and to have less judgment. And this is so important for our profession. This is so important for the way that we show up. And we don't need to travel across the world to meet someone with a radically different belief system to our own. I can walk across the street and talk to my neighbour who I know will have very different mm understanding of the world yeah and i i'll give an unpopular opinion that i know i'm probably going to cop flack for but i've seen the same thing with within the profession with things like sensory mod especially in mental health i'm like yeah it's super useful tool but i've seen people that you know they've done the training and they can start practicing sensory mod and then all of a sudden that's all that they do and you end up with sensory mod therapists and i'm like it's a tool like it's not everything it's not all encompassing yes very valuable uh excellent knowledge and helps explain a lot of things that previously we might have struggled to explore with some of our clients but there's more to people than just the sensory interpretations uh so yeah i know that someone out there listening is probably gonna <laughs> well let me let me let me up level let me let me go on this wave of thought that you've got I totally agree I think we need to be questioning everything and this is a really important for our profession to mature is that we are questioning what we're being taught we don't want to just be these consumers that believe everything that we're told no we want to challenge it we want to question it we want to deeply understand it so for example on my Instagram a couple of weeks ago, I, I did a post and it was about questioning one of our OT assumptions. And that was this assumption that we, um, that we have these categories of occupation, self-care, work leisure. and productivity, yeah, and leisure. And that occupation must neatly fit into these boxes. 
the thing is we just blindly believe this and it wasn't until I went to my great nana's she's in hospital and you know with all COVID and everything happening I wasn't able to initially travel up to see her because she lives in another state I took the long trip up as soon as the border opened I I just I, I drove up with my two girls and yeah it was a very emotional time because to be honest I didn't even know if I'd make it and um I got there and all I did was spend this precious time with her. I I watched as my two young girls danced for her. I took her outside into the sunshine and into the wind because she was just locked up in this hospital cell and I, I wanted to get her out and just to feel a little bit of aliveness. And we didn't really, quote, unquote, do anything. You know, there weren't these things that I could categorise into self-care, productivity or leisure. It was just connection. It was watching her feel the magic as my girls danced. It it was just something almost intangible. Um, And I I just, I couldn't categorise it. How do you categorise connection and and this? It just, it doesn't fit into a category. And so I really started to question, I started to look up on, you know, people who have challenged this and there's some awesome work out there. But I just think, like what you said, we need to remain curious. We need to question things. And this is not only in our life, but also within the profession. And this is what's going, this is how we're going to grow. This is how we learn. And it's through conversations like this, it's through your podcast where you get these awesome people on who come from their own perspective. Like, again, honestly, it all comes back to these belief systems that we have. And is it an actual truth or is it just this relative truth that's been passed on? And I think as OTs, our current generation and the future generations, we can build upon the awesome leaders that have led before us, but we can also bring so much to the table. Yeah, um, I think what you what you touched on there is something that I'm quite passionate about in that, like I'm a big fan uh, of Elvin and Wilcox's work. I'm sure everyone in the OT profession knows who she was. And, you know, the, even if you didn't know her name, you'd know the doing, being, belonging, becoming. But I think that even though everyone knows that, there is this really strong focus on the doing, which don't get me wrong, that's super important, but there's like three other things that she's talked about in, in her works that don't, I don't feel, get as much attention or OTs don't actually know what to do with it. Um, so like if we completely ignore the doing bit, similar to like what you just described then, like if we're looking at becoming and belonging uh, like, what do we do? Like, how does an OT actually work with these things, these concepts? Uh, so that's something that I, I feel like the profession can improve on. Um, it, it's interesting. I remember years and years ago, um, uh, an example, who, oh, it was uh, Matthew Molinow, Dr. Matthew Molinow, uh, who works on the Gold Coast. Um, he, an example he gave... And I don't remember if it was like 
a personal experience example, but he was talking about um, a guy who was similar. I think he was in a nursing home who the nurses were worried about and they referred to the OT because all the guy did was you know sit in his wheelchair and stare out the window all day. Um, and when the OT came and had a conversation with him, he expressed that he wasn't just doing nothing. He was reminiscing. Like he was sitting there thinking about, like he was an old elderly dude thinking about, you know, his, 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 his wife, his kids, his life, his experiences. So he was actively engaged in this thing that isn't what most people, most people I think when they typically think of doing, especially with the categories like that, uh, think about like physically moving and physically engaging in something. And I think occupations that are outside of that sort of physical realm are something that don't get enough attention. Yes, I know I'm going to have people message me go, oh, but I do that. I'm like, yes, I get that, but you're not everyone. Um, uh, This is a broad speaking. And again, it's my perspective based on the people that I've met and that I've spoken to, which just happens to be a lot of people. Um. But yeah, I just feel like most people, if I say what's a productivity occupation to them, straight away they're going to picture something and it's going to be physical. If I say what is a leisure occupation, they're going to be picturing something and it's going to be like a physical situation, whether it's watching TV or whatever it is, it's going to be a physical thing. No one's going to go reminiscing. Like it just doesn't, I've got lots of, beef with those categories and I'm sure we've probably read some of the similar works uh, questioning them but uh, I've heard arguments both sides and again it comes back to what we're talking about before it doesn't mean that there's going to be a right or wrong I'm not saying that I'm right and everyone else is wrong because I think that it's just a different way of conceptualizing it personally when I conceptualize occupation I don't need those categories occupation is occupation it doesn't matter what category is in what I do with the person based on that occupation doesn't change depending on oh no this is an this is a productivity occupation i can't do that i'll have to do this no i work with the person i work with their occupations it doesn't matter what category it's in it's it's superfluous information it doesn't it, it serves no person the people don't know they don't they don't look at what they're doing based on these categories there's no real differentiating factors in how an OT works with people based on what category it's in. So what's the point? And that's sort of always been my sort of questioning thing. Like, yes, I get it. I understand them. I was taught them. I know that they're based in a lot of our models, but why? Like, what is the point? In modern times, maybe back in the day, they did serve a purpose when, um, you know, standardized interventions were sort of maybe categorized around these types of occupations quote unquote but nowadays we've got a much more advanced understanding of it and we know that there's things that don't fit into those sort of doing type categories so what's the purpose Hmm. yeah i agree with everything you've said um i think too when we're working with our clients one important thing that i have become very conscious of ever since i started my own business because i'm i'm a mobile occupational therapist so i go out to the client's home and i get to see the richness of information that comes from viewing them in the real life context of their day-to-day life. 
I don't just view them with my eyes. And I'm not just assessing with my eyes. I, I use all of my senses. So what I can smell, what I can hear, what I can feel, like in terms of family dynamics and how the household runs and what's going on in their space, what it looks like. I mean, this is something too that I really feel like we need to be doing more of is immersion, is immersing ourselves into our client's life because you mentioned standardised assessment just before. There is no standardised assessment or no clinical-based observation that we can do that's going to give us more information than really stepping into our client's life. Um, It has been absolutely invaluable to me in terms of how I work with my clients by immersing myself in their life. So, for example, I have a, I'm working with a 10-year-old boy on the autism spectrum and he he has just this passion for skating and doing double backflips on the trampoline. He's very active and he's incredible. He is incredible. And, you know, the challenge though is that he wants to go outside skating all the time with his friends on the street, okay, typical 10-year-old boy stuff. But he doesn't always come home on time and he doesn't follow through with instructions and mum worries so much about his safety and his understanding of, you know, the bigger world out there. And, you know, if I brought him into a clinic and we focused on working memory and attention span and his impulsivity and all these kind of things and I broke it down into these small components but I had a goal that wasn't relevant to the real-life context, then I'm missing the point because who cares if he can follow instructions on two out of three occasions? Mm. Who cares? I want to know if he can go outside of his home, skate with his friends, engage in those meaningful occupations and still be safe. Can Mm. he come home on time? Can he follow through with that instruction? Not just any instruction, this specific instruction. So I go out, I can't skate very well, but I take my skateboard over and I give it a red hot crack and and we'll scaffold the intervention around the real life context. Mm. And this is so, it's so meaningful and we're actually working towards his goal. You know, the thing, the beauty about occupation is, and the beauty about our work is that occupation can be the means and it can be the end. So the means is the intervention. Like I'm immersing myself in his life, working towards the real goal. And it's also the end. It's this overarching therapy goal. You know, I'm not working on something that's a skill component. You know, it's not this tiny task that I've broken down that's almost not going to even be relevant to his life. It's really we need to always be coming back to occupation and I know you've done a lot of work on occupation based you're all occupation occupied I mean come on let's let's keep it relevant to the lives of the people that we seek to serve I think that's where I am seeing more and more mostly private practices are doing this work like exceptionally well and the people that tend to 
struggle more or have told me that they struggle more with keeping the occupation as means, etc., are the ones that are working within a bigger system that don't probably, the main issue is probably the system doesn't understand what we do, how we work, and they may, they may never. Uh, I know, and Brock, this is the thing, this is the thing, right? We are working in systems, and do you know what? I used to think I needed to be an entrepreneur to create the change that I seek in the world. The thing is what I've started to learn over the last, even just the last few months, is that we are working in systems and OT can be in this heavily dominated medical model. We can be working in hospital systems or certain community systems. We feel stuck. We feel like we can't do the work that we want to do. We feel stifled. And and going back to my story, this is how I felt when I, I was going through my own personal development and I wanted to do more preventative. I wanted to do, I wanted to work differently. I, I had different ways of thinking, but I felt stuck. What I've learned over the last few months is that the most important work we can do if we are in the system is to speak up because we are the system. We created the system. Human beings created the system that we're in. And if we don't speak up on behalf of our profession, we will always be stuck. We will stay where we are. We won't grow. And so it does take this courage. It takes this audacity to stand up for what we believe in and say, hey, this is another way of doing this. Let's try this. And so That's really interesting because something that I've said on the podcast and in real life many, many times is that OTs really need to recognize mainly when I've said it, it's been focusing on uh, working specifically with clients, but it just clicked for me then that it's actually really relevant to what you were describing then is that when we're working with clients, we need to be aware that we are actually part of that person's environment. So any changes we make to ourselves are going to have an impact on the people we work with. And that's exactly what you're describing with us being part of the system. We are part of that environment. So by changing ourselves and having an impact on the other, the rest of the environment around us, we are going to have an impact on the, the entity as a whole. Yeah, it's this ripple effect. And this, this is the OT lifestyle movement. So the OT lifestyle movement is this vision for OTs to do work that really matters to them. Like what lights you up? Well, sometimes we just go on autopilot through life and we, we don't even take the time to think, am I where I want to be in life? And when we're not, we're, we're just not having this, the same energy that we will, we're not impacting the lives in the way that we really can. So by stepping into our own truth by being in alignment with ourselves we can really have this incredible ripple effect on other people's lives and I can almost guarantee this is why people stepped into the profession they stepped into the profession because they want to have this beautiful impact on someone else's life like 
we, I mean, our, our, there's so much depth to our profession. Like we create and help people create meaning to their life. Like tell me, is there any greater thing on earth that we can do to contribute to someone else's life than to help them find meaning? I wager you can't. I can't think of anything. (laughs) (laughs) It's incredible. It's incredible. And I just want people to have this passion. I want other OTs because I know, you know, I've spoken to so many OTs when I started on this OT lifestyle movement is that people came out and started to resonate with what I had to say. They, 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 they're coming and telling me, you know, I've been an OT for 20 years and now I'm thinking of stepping outside because I'm in an area that doesn't resonate with me anymore. The beauty about OT is that as our life changes, so can our profession. As our life changes, you know, maybe we start in hospital because that's where we were meant to be then, but then we transition to working with kids because we have our own kids. And then after that, we start doing our own personal development and we want to work more holistically in life coaching and with yoga and integrating all these amazing modalities into our work. Like depending on where we are in our own stage of life, our work can be a reflection of that. And there is no other profession that I know of that can really reflect our own life. And this is why we can do our work and be on purpose in our life. You know, I say passion is our GPS. You know, follow that passion. You know, this is going to lead the way. So wherever you are in your stage of life, just follow that passion. Follow the thread because it will start to open those doors for you and new pathways will arise and you might not end up where you thought you were going to end up, but that's okay. You're going to find something that's really meaningful to your life. And this is just one part of the OT lifestyle movement. So the OT lifestyle movement is foundationally about finding work that matters to us. Once we've done that, then we can help other people live their lives their way, like have this ripple effect. But we can't really do that unless we're stepping into our own passion and purpose first and foremost. So you mentioned before, let's get in the nuts and bolts of it. You mentioned before that it was... Uh, like one of the first things is like working out where you want to be in your life. So where does Rihanna Chris want to be in her life? Great question. (laughs) (laughs) It was yours. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. And that's the beauty of life, right? I don't have it all worked out. I don't have all the steps worked out. I am very much take it as it comes and I will continue to grow and learn as different doors open for me. I, I follow my creativity and my passion. I love, I love, I love creating meaning in people's life. I love helping other people. I love seeing them grow. That, that in turn creates meaning for my life. And so whatever that looks like at the time, like in the initial stages, hospital did initially bring me meaning working in certain environments has brought meaning to my life but I can't say you know what's going to be around the corner because I I really don't know and I think no one knows and it only takes 
you know, something small to totally send us on this whole different detour. And it's just really about centering and again, checking in and saying, okay, where am I? Is this in alignment with where I want to be? And right now, where do I want to go? And I have, I have four questions that I think of and that I, I like to ask OTs when they think about passion and purpose because it's a big one, right? Like how do you know what you want to do for the rest of your life? How do you know if you're living your life on purpose? I think most of the time we find out because we're not living on purpose and we're like this isn't feeling good for me. I feel heavy. I feel drained. I'm burnt out. I'm overstressed. I feel sick. I just want to stay in bed. Like we get all these symptoms and all these little alarm bells. You know, sometimes it just takes a big whack, you know, a big hit on the head for us to go, hold on, right, slow up. This is not for me. So the four questions to help someone really find their passion and purpose is number one, what brings me the most joy? What do I love the most in life? When am I the most happiest? And this is, I'm, th- I'm assuming this is like not just OT related, this is just life. This is life. Yeah. Like get creative, get out your big butcher's paper and just, just brainstorm because, as I said, OTs are so diverse. It's just the most incredible profession and we can work with anyone, anywhere and integrate our own passions and the things that bring us joy, we can integrate that into our work. So number one, what brings us joy? Number two, what breaks my heart? Because it's in those moments of brokenness that we can find our quest, right? Sometimes when we have those really shitty days or there's this big life event that happens, and we feel so down, sometimes that can propel us on this purpose that we never intended to, we would never otherwise have set out on Mm. that journey. Um, So it can totally change our life trajectory. So, you know, if there is something deep down that you know, and, and people as they're listening to this might be able to think of something, you know, instantly, um, you know, it could be something relevant to their life that they think, you know, this is going to be my life's mission. And, and it's about making the world a better place because you've been through that troubled time. The third question is how do I want my life to look in 40 years from now? You know, where do I want to be? You know, it's a long time to think ahead, but how do you want to feel? What do you want to look like? Who do you want to be surrounded by? All these questions and, and start stepping into that now because the only way you're going to get there is if you start taking those steps towards it and then the fourth question is what do I want my legacy to be and it's another big one you know but we're talking about purpose so legacy is what we're going to leave behind how can you make the world a better place and I'm not I'm not saying it has to be this big profound thing that you have to do you can be be a mum at home loving on your children and bringing them up to be brilliant, brilliant children and this is your legacy, mm. you know. 
it can be something incredible and massive as well, um, making big changes in the environmental impact of the world and changing how we look at um, and what we do in our daily occupations that's contributing to global warming. You know, whatever it is for you, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you want to leave this world? How do you want to feel when you leave this world? Because it's inevitable. It's, it's going to happen to all of us. So, you know, they're the they're four questions that you can ask yourself to, to help you step more into your purpose because what I found is purpose doesn't just come like a light bulb. You can't sit here taking notes, thinking about purpose. You've almost got to just start doing. It's in, in the doing and, and doing different things where you start to realise, hmm, this, this feels good. I would... I would think too that it's like those are, are massive questions uh and for some people i know mainly because i am probably one of those people <laughs> you kind of feel a little bit disheartened sometimes if you can't instantly come up with an answer but with questions that big i'd be worried if you could like take your time mm -hmm. have a think journal talk to people like whatever it takes but give it time the answers will come uh, you may not have them on the tip of your tongue but that's not uncommon for questions of that magnitude. Mm. So give yourself some grace and, uh, but definitely think yeah. through them because they are very important. Mm. Yeah. Always treat yourself kindly, but start with the easy things. Like what do you love doing? Yeah. What, what brings you joy? What makes you feel good? And then how can you incorporate that into your work? If you want to bring more joy to your work and you feel like you're not aligned with your work or you feel like you're in a system and you're stuck, because this is something that I hear over and over and over again, how can you bring that, whether it's yoga, whether it's meditation, whether it's surfing, whether it's skateboarding, whatever your interest, I don't care if you love working on cars or braiding hair, whatever, I don't care. Think of what you love to do. Do you love working with children? Are you passionate about nutrition? How can you weave that into your work? Because these are all occupations. They are all occupations. And, and you can work within a specific niche or you can um, somehow incorporate that into what you do. So start small. It, yeah, it doesn't have to be big. They're, they're big questions, but it's just about thinking you know and I, I suppose I kind of I may have made them sound bigger than what they are but you know what brings you joy what breaks your heart what do you want life to look like in 10 20 30 40 years down the track and what do you want to leave behind you know it doesn't the questions don't have to be so big that you don't even answer them just yeah reflect on it it's ironically funny to me because that's a very OT process. It's a very similar uh, even just interview format that I would go through with clients when I was working clinically. Uh, and that was one of the reasons people have said, heard me say it before. Like I can work with someone without ever knowing what their diagnosis is in mental health. My, my experience in mental health is because that is the kind of process that I go through with them is what do you actually want to do? Like what's going to improve your life? It could be absolutely nothing to do with the diagnosis or the symptoms or anything like that. What can I do to support you and help you work through whatever it is that's going to make you feel like your life is improving or is better than it was when we first started? Um, 
so yeah, I I can see the OT even in the process, which is awesome. <laughs> Well, we had this conversation on my podcast, so mm. the OT Lifestyle Movement. We dove into not placing diagnoses or not placing people in boxes because we do. We, ha- we are so caught up with this medical model and reducing people down to their pathology and to their diagnosis. And what we can often get caught in the trap of doing is seeing on our intake form this person has diabetes or this person has autism and we get these preconceived ideas of what a person may look like how they might function how they might behave the issues they're gonna have like and um, and we put a cap on their potential we think oh well i might not try that because you know they've got this diagnosis and we put a cap on the strategies that we might suggest on the interventions that we might work through with them and ultimately their potential. And this is very limiting. So it's so important that we circle back to the whole person and really understanding their narrative um, cannot, cannot be, um, you know, more under, uh, what's the word? I was, I was going to say. Straight with it. <laughs> I know it's just it's just so important yeah and I'll I'll throw a link to that episode in the show notes if people want to check that out if you haven't already Um, yeah it was a a very fun conversation uh, and got me on many of my soapboxes (laughs) and that was one of them that was one of them and I suppose coming back to helping people step into their passion and their purpose. You know, I mentioned nutrition in there and this is one foundational component of what I call lifestyle optimization. So lifestyle optimization. So we focus on our own lifestyle first, I think is, you know, this is, this is the greatest work we can ever do is the work on ourselves. So that's the first lifestyle component we need to focus on. The second lifestyle component is obviously on on like with our clients. And, you know, if OTs are passionate about nutrition, this is one thing that they can definitely integrate into their work. And I feel like for some reason, I'm not sure why, we step back from this. I feel like there's not enough of us talking about healthy eating habits with our clients. Um, and... Eating is a universal occupation. It is, we need, we need to eat to survive. I just find it so funny that no one's talking about it or it's almost taboo because we think it lies in the realms of nutritionists and dietitians. But we're, we're not nutritionists. We're not dietitians and we're not trying to be. What we are is experts in occupation and we can, we can bring something really valuable to this, area that no other profession can and it's about looking through the lens of occupation it's about looking at cooking and meal preparation and shopping and gardening like growing your own food and so I think a lot of those things are often overlooked as well I think for some of those things people don't feel like they have enough knowledge to sort of address it when like you said it's not that we're trying to you know, give someone a macro breakdown of what they should be eating. It's like more around engaging in the actual eating. Like, okay, so this person 
values, you know, a family dinner on a Sunday. Like for whatever reason, injury, illness, etc., they haven't been able to do that. How can we get them back engaging in the occupation of eating in that way that's going to hit all those those occupational needs that they, they previously had or previously had fulfilled um, with that sort of family dinner time? You know, it might be every second week they host it and then they go to their parents the next week and that's the same occupation essentially but very different in how that person engages in it we that's the stuff that we can do that that is our bread and butter like we don't have to like okay you need 300 grams of chicken breast and blah blah blah. like that's that side of it we don't need to know and i feel like that's the thing that people picture when you start talking about like nutrition and stuff and Yes, okay, That's there are other professions that are experts in that, and there's nothing to say that you can't work with those professions in tandem if that sort of like nutritional breakdown is what the person is actually needing. But we're the experts in engagement. We're the experts in supporting people to actually get back into engaging in those occupations. So don't be afraid to step into that, but also don't be afraid to ask for help if you're not 100% confident in it. There's gonna. It doesn't matter if you're a sole practitioner. There's the internet now. We can connect with anyone around the world. Um, that's pretty much what I do with this podcast. I connect with people all over the place. Like it's <laughs> not hard. Just ask. Most people are super happy to answer a question if you have yeah. one. So, absolutely. And I think that's like with the whole nutrition thing. I, on my own personal journey, I was making my own changes to how I ate. And I thought, wow, this can really benefit some of my clients. And it's not like I was transferring, like I'm not telling my clients to be paleo, you know, like when I went through the paleo, it's nothing like that. But it's about bringing that understanding and that awareness. So, for example, I had had a client who was a teenager on the autism spectrum. He was autistic. And he, his parents referred him to me because he had a lot of quote-unquote behavioural challenges. He was spitting, hitting, punching walls. Like there are a lot of things going on. And if we solely look through our traditional occupational therapy lens and think, oh, it's sensory or it's, you know, some behavioural challenges or whatever we may traditionally look at, and we neglect to look at nutrition, we're doing ourselves a big disservice. So part of my assessment form that I've created is asking about diet. I ask about what they have for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, anything in between, and really find out what they're feeding their body. Because again, it is this universal occupation that we all engage in, but it also it has a profound impact on the, on the physiolo- physiology of the body, but also our behaviour and our emotions. And we, we know this as OTs. This is not rocket science. Mm. Anyway, so this teen I found out was drinking 10 cans of Coke a day, a day. Sugar overload. Absolutely. And, and this was actually a reduction. He was drinking 20. So they got him down to 10 and he knew he had to set aside 10 cans of Coke. Otherwise it was bigger meltdown. And if I failed to ask that question, I'd be working on all the wrong things because, you know, 
this is this part's just common sense the common sense is anyone on the street will tell you 10 cans of coke is not supportive of your health and well-being and you're probably going to have some sort of behavioral response in regards to this we know what we eat what we consume you know say for example if i have too many ciders i'm going to feel tipsy my brain's going to be my my thinking's going to be compromised i won't be able to walk in that straight line i won't be able to recite the alphabet backwards whatever it is I, my thinking, my being, my behavior is going to be changed based on what I consume. We know this. Same with Coke, you know. And so it was so fundamental for me to be working with this client to know that what his diet was. And it was that he drank his 10 cans of Coke a day and he'd only eat chicken nuggets and some other sort of sweet foods. So it was very restricted. It was very limited. And that was a big factor impacting on behavior and how he was behaving. And that, that takes a big therapy process and journey to address this. But we need to be looking further than maybe what we've traditionally looked at. Um, so it's really, it's really important to be looking at lifestyle and to be expanding our view to Nutri- like, I don't like to say nutrition because then people do relate it to like no. nutritionists, but just healthy just eating food. habits. Yeah, eating. yeah, yeah. It's a habit. It's a ritual. It's a routine that we do every day. Um, but looking at that, looking at movement, looking at connection, looking at rest and sleep, and I feel that's an area that OTs do quite well, um, and looking at purpose. So, yeah, it's just it's it's back to basics, but I feel like it's just not really getting covered that well. I it's it's back to basics in a way but in a way, in another way i don't know if we've ever got our head around looking at everything at once we tend to go through like these sort of flavor of the month stages like i was talking about with sensory mod i'm like okay yep so for a two year period everyone in this dog was doing sensory mod and now it's kind of like dulled down there's something new on the horizon like uh, it does seem basic when you lay it out but i i don't know of any therapist in the last sort of 10 years that have really gone, okay, this is the basics and I've, and I'm doing all of it really well. It's, it's <laughs> we interesting. Can't. Yeah, yeah, we right. can't. Yeah. But you still need to be able to reflect back depending on what the, the client needs. Like if they need, you know, advice around eating, if they need advice around sleeping, like sleep hygiene, that kind of thing, you still need to be aware enough to go, yeah, that's actually something I can do. Uh, and not just shut it down and go, no, there's another profession that does that. Because it's a fine line between, uh, I guess, taking on the work of other professions and, I guess, kind of negating some of the stuff that we should be doing. Mm. And I think Mm. juggling that line or balancing that line is something that the profession as a whole is really only just starting to sort of get its head around in the last handful of years Mm. yeah it's interesting isn't it I think it definitely and again it's conversations like this it's talking about it it's um talking about it with colleagues and exploring it a little bit more fully to see what I what I find is that OTs get so scared about scope of practice. Am I practicing within scope of practice? And I only know this because I was there. I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Is this within scope? 
am I allowed to? Is this even OT? And I'd have all these worrying thoughts. Um, and I think it's about just doing some research and reading and having a look that, yes, definitely, like we can work within this area, is within our scope, but just sticking to the boundaries of always looking at things through an occupational lens. So say, for example, the food, I'm not being prescriptive. Like you said, I'm not looking at macros. I'm not looking at anything like that. I'm not being prescriptive of what he can and can't eat. I'm inquisitive and I'm coming from a lifestyle perspective and I'm looking at how can we reduce the amount of Coke? And a lot of it comes back to coaching. So I love coaching. So instead of telling and being prescriptive and telling the parents what he should be eating or what he should be doing or what habits he should be changing, it's about saying, okay, well, they, they knew that that wasn't a healthy habit, but what could they do about it? And it's about problem solving with them to find out where they think his readiness to change is because they know him better than I will ever know him. I can come up with all these fandangle solutions, but again, if it doesn't fit into his lifestyle with his capacity, with his readiness to change, no change will happen. So really coaching has been become a really big part of my career with working with families and it can be done in any any context with any client because the the client becomes the agent of change with coaching we ask the questions it's it's about asking really good questions instead of giving really good answers and when we do this, we find out so much more about their life and they actually come up with these awesome solutions that fit into their life way better than anything that I would have ever been able to come up with. So I think that's another important element of it as well is just, again, circling back to their readiness to change and their belief systems and, and where they're at. Awesome. So OT Lifestyle Movement, the program itself, what is it and how can people get involved? So it's not it's not the program as such, Brock. It's it's just this vision and it's something that's ever unfolding and I'm constantly creating and working on. It's a little bit of a it's just my brainchild. It's just I don't know, it's just it's Passion just it's, it is, it really is. Um but there's a lots of exciting things in the work coming up. I I'm constantly, you know, I'm on social media at Rhiannon Crisp. So that's just my name. And over on Facebook, we've got a Facebook group, the OT Lifestyle Movement, and obviously the podcast, the OT Lifestyle Movement, and the website, theotlifestylemovement.com. And at the moment, it's just really about providing a lot of value. It's about providing a lot of free information through the podcast, through blogs, um, and it's about me stepping into my passion and my purpose. This is what I, I love to do. I love speaking to other OTs that round my knowledge of the profession and the possibilities of what's possible within the profession and um, sharing this with others because I don't just want it to be my knowledge. I want it to be everyone's knowledge. Um, but, yeah, people can join in just by jumping in and into the Facebook group and asking questions and meeting other people 
not just like-minded people, but also people from diverse backgrounds who have got different ways of seeing things and um, can talk about how they integrate yoga or meditation or mindfulness or whatever their passion is, how are they doing it and how can you do that too? And then also, yeah, and then also looking at sort of the lifestyle components of helping other people live a better life through lifestyle optimization. So it sounds very much to me anyway through our discussion today. It's it's sort of almost starts with straightening out or sorting out your own lifestyle and then transferring those skills onto the people or into the, the interventions that you do with the people that you work with, whichever, mm. whoever that may be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, foundational is looking at yourself, working out are you in alignment with where where you want to be? Are you are you excited about life or have you just lost that light and that hope and you're just in groundhog day every day and not don't feel like you're making the impact that you want to have. You know, are you ready to up level and make an occupational choice to have this this life that you that you dream of you know because it's possible and I think sometimes we make this all airy fairy and that but following your own passion and purpose you know and stepping into something that's meaningful to you you know this is this is the point of life and this is what we're helping other OT other clients other people around the world do so first and foremost that's what we need to do for ourselves and then, yeah, working with our clients, it's, it's creating lifestyle changes and helping them create the lifestyle change within their life and accepting that their reality is different from our own. We're going to have different lifestyles. Um, but knowing that there are these foundational lifestyle pieces and, I, and this falls under the, the lifestyle optimization, the healthy eating, connection, nature, purpose, movement and rest and relaxation. They're the six things that I think are key. And regardless of your age, your gender, where in the world you live, your background, your class, your culture, every person needs those things. But like healthy eating is going to look different to me than to what it does to someone in India. You know, there's different cultural norms and different things that we associate with healthy eating but it's meeting people where they're at and healthy eating is still foundational to your life whether you live here in Australia or whether you live in India it just looks different Mm. so the same with rest and relaxation everyone needs rest and relaxation and sleep whatever that looks like for you everyone needs nature we need to be outside more we're in store far too often we all need purpose. And this is the heart and the soul of occupational therapy is purpose. So you can, um, you know, we don't, we don't just look at reach and grasp. We look at can a kindy kid pick up their cup at school and drink for themselves. We don't just look at hip range of movement. We look at can an elderly person get out of their bed in the morning at home not in the hospital, at home. And, and it's his purpose. This, this is something that's so profound about our profession. Um, and movement, you know, we need more movement in our life. And this is another foundational piece of lifestyle optimization is moving our bodies. And again, this looks different to everyone. For you, it might be 
weightlifting. For me, it might be running. For Joe Blow, it could be yoga. For someone else, it could be surfing. You know, what's meaningful to them? So it's looking at those six lifestyle optimization components that's relevant to that person's life. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, you got you got me on my own little soapbox. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, um, yeah, I'll I'll throw links to everything listed in the previous hour and a bit uh, into the show notes. So definitely, if people want to check out the lifestyle movement, jump in the Facebook group, have a look around, ask some questions, see what other discussions people are involved in. Um, definitely check out Rhiannon's podcast as well. Uh, tons of really awesome information and I'm not just outside of the episode that I was on. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks so much for, for coming and having a chat. I'm glad we finally managed to to make it all all the stars I know, it's come been together. a little while, hasn't it? It's uh, It's been quite the thread of emails back and forth trying to arrange it this. Has, but... but we made it happen. <laughs> awesome. Cheers, Brock. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to OccupiedPodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, 